This evening's reading is quite concise. It's taken from Philippians, and in your pew Bibles, that's page 1179. The passage which is marked for this evening is Philippians 2, verses 5 through to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who bring, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the, same, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of the Father. Amen. Well, what I want to talk about tonight is the first bit is about Jesus, how he emptied himself, how he humbled himself to help all of us human beings. That's the first part of the talk. And the second part is thinking around how do we apply that, how do we follow his pattern in our everyday lives, what we do tomorrow. When we all go to work, most of us will say, oh, thank God it's Monday. (laughs) There's a book by that name. It's very good, actually. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, we thank you so much uh, that you gave everything up for us and you emptied yourself for us and you came to become one of us because you love us so much and you wanted to save us and sort us out. And we thank you so much, Lord, that you did that for us. Help us to model that, Lord, in our everyday lives. To your glory, Jesus. Amen. Now, I don't know. We're going to have a... There's, there's someone called... Don't put the picture up yet, operator. There's someone called Danny Dyer. Do you know who he is? I did this at 8.30 communion this morning. I want to get... Stick your hand up if you know who Danny Dyer is. Oh, oh, I don't need the picture. Put him up anyway. This is Danny Dyer. And they did a programme on... uh, What's that thing? Goes into your ancestry. Uh, Who do you think you are? People say that to me all the time, actually. I don't know why. Anyway, he he was on that. And it turns out the programme got more and more amazing. If you know anything about him, he doesn't exactly strike you as a royal uh, if you meet him. And he went, he went back right to William the Conqueror, right? So Danny Dyer is descended from William the Conqueror. Then the BBC thought, well, that was fun. What we'll do, we'll do another series about his, his history and he'll find out a bit more about his royal history. So then, this, this is very exciting, he found out he was descended from Louis the Ninth, right? You don't know. Does anyone know who Louis the Ninth is? You're going to find out now. Because he's the only king 
who was made a saint by the Pope. But to be honest, he wasn't that much of a saint. But anyway, the Pope made him a saint. He was very flawed. However, he tried to model himself on Jesus, and he managed to do so in some ways, to the extent that sometimes he would he would actually try and seek proper justice for everybody, no matter how much money they had or didn't have. He tried to set up a proper just system. He uh, he used to give food to the poor. He'd have them eat at his table. He'd wash their feet, and sometimes he would dress in a simple he dressed in a simple white robe and walked barefoot to to show his uh, humility and he wanted to model Jesus he stripped away all his royal clothes there and the next picture you can see Danny his ancestor Danny's walking like the king Louis the 9th there right so i want you to hold on to that because this king Louis was an unusual king in his rejection of some of his royal trappings and seeking to administer justly, help the poor, and so on. And he even washed their feet like Jesus washed the disciples' feet just before his death. Right, that's the end of my PowerPoint for this evening. Thank you. Now, when Paul wrote this letter, the leaders, the kings, the emperors of the time were often regarded, treated as gods, or they had to be, otherwise you were in for the chop. These world leaders were powerful, brutal conquerors. Some of them weren't so bad, but some of them were like that. They largely served their own lust for power, for wealth, for control, influence. They kept order by harsh use of force in conquering and subjugating nations like, of course, Israel in Jesus' time. Though the Israelites had to put up with this. The Roman king, Emperor Caesar, then used harsh punishment like severe whipping or crucifixion, which Jesus suffered, as punishments to keep the conquered subjects well under the thumb, under his control. And it worked fairly well for quite a long time. But if we read the Bible, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the true king of kings, unlike these earthly kings or emperors. But he stands in absolutely stark contrast to these harsh world leaders. He didn't choose to use his power for anything other than serving others in love. Although God, he gave his life up in heaven with the Father and the Spirit. He came to help us all, to rescue us from a sin, to conquer death so we could have life with him. And the rulers of the Jesus days, I've said, they conquered everyone underneath them. Although God is so far above us, so much more powerful than any world leader, that we can't hardly understand who God is. He's so different to us in many ways. He's outside time. It's in this heavenly place where there's no suffering, only love and peace and goodness. He's so powerful, but he doesn't choose to do that to us. He doesn't choose to push us down, oppress us like the world leaders. He doesn't do that. Instead, God woos us, woos us like a husband loving his bride. That's one of the big pictures in the Bible. God chose to rescue us from our sin and to conquer death so we can have life with him in relationship with him. And the way he woos us like a bride, a loved bride, is he chose to do so by taking the nature of a slave. Now, the word used means slave in the Greek. It doesn't actually mean servant so much. It is the word for slave. Serving us, 
Jesus became our slave. Paul says in this beautiful poem, who being in very nature God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, emptied himself by taking the very nature of a slave, being made in human likeness. So Jesus is God. Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is with the Father God and the Spirit before anything was ever made. And he shows us the very heart of the nature of God on the cross. Being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So when Paul says Jesus made himself nothing, the Greek word used means to empty out, to be empty. Now my bins are being empty tonight. I don't know about you, but that's how it goes on. Mon- oh, sorry, tonight, tomorrow morning. But emptied out. That's the picture. Without recognition, seen as worthless, like rubbish almost, being emptied out of a bin. And that's certainly humbling yourself, isn't it? Charles Wesley said of Jesus, he emptied himself of all but love. He emptied himself of all but love. He showed us the deep love of God for all of us when he gave up his life in heaven, humbled himself, came here, gave up his rights as God, served us all by dying on the cross to save us. Now back to King Louis. King Louis IX, he tried to emulate Jesus to some extent in this humbling and emptying of himself, walking barefoot and so on. He made an attempt at it. But he was nothing like Jesus, really. And I I find it hard to grasp the depth of what this means, really. What he gave up, I don't think I'll ever grasp it properly until until we see God face to face. But if you watch Call the Midwife, I, I mean, you've got it all on record, haven't you, later? You know, you think of the nuns in that, the midwife nuns in that. They've given up wealth... Or, or any possessions, they've given up the chance of marrying, which is their right. They can have possessions, they can marry, they choose not to, they do it to serve others. That's a little picture as well of, of maybe what Jesus came to do. But Jesus came up far more than the nuns. It's, it's hard to grasp. But in the midst of that, he never stopped being God. He was always God. He chose to give up certain aspects of God's nature temporarily when he became human. So he gave up. Now we've got some good words here. Uh, someone I, I mentioned this to someone the other day, and they, they thought I'd got them, them wrong. But I have checked them, okay? Jesus emptied himself and became our slave by giving up omniscience and omnipotence, right? So remember those. Omniscience means you probably know this already the quality of having unlimited knowledge. You know everything. Omniscience. Omnipotence means having unlimited power. You're able to do anything. And God has those things, but Jesus gave those things up. Here's some examples about omniscience, the quality of having unlimited knowledge. For example, you're probably all it's on the tip of your tongue. Jesus didn't know when he would return to earth to finally sort everything out for us. He's going to come back again, which is great news. He says in Matthew 24, But about that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So he, didn't, he doesn't know. He gave that up. And he, he was also given supernatural knowledge by the Holy Spirit about what the religious leaders were thinking when he healed that man who came down through the roof, the paralytic came down through the roof. He forgave the man's sins. 
And he knew what they were thinking through the Spirit. It says in Mark 2, Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? He was given supernatural knowledge by the Holy Spirit. So he didn't know everything. He gave up omniscience. Now, omnipotence. Here's some examples. Having unnoted power, how he gave that up. He was given supernatural power by the Holy Spirit to drive out demons. And he said in Matthew 12, if it's by by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's by the Spirit of God. The Spirit gave him supernatural power. And Jesus also taught through the power of the Spirit, and I very much hope that's what's going on here. I hope. I hope you find it helpful. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, it says in Luke 4, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. So he had the Holy Spirit to help him teach. So he didn't have unlimited power, and he needed the Holy Spirit to give him that power, and he gave up omnipotence. But he never stopped being God. He was always God. He just chose to give up certain aspects of God's nature temporarily when he became human. And that's a lot to get your head around, I know. But I think it's important to show us where he's coming from and what he gave up for us. So now we've looked at how he emptied himself. He humbled himself to help all of us like a slave serving us. That was the first part of the talk. You must be relieved now, mustn't you? You, It can't be too long. This is the second part. And I I briefly want to look at how we can do that in everyday life. But what we're going to do is give you some time later to think about it yourselves. So this emptying of ourselves and reliance on the Holy Spirit, that seems to be the pattern of Jesus. Reliance on the Holy Spirit to empower and guide us uh, that Jesus practiced. That's the pattern we can try and follow in our everyday lives. To serve God, to serve our neighbours. And I think a lot of this this goes on in our mind, first of all. So in our mind, we we need to empty ourselves of all our privileges and become servants, slaves of God and others. In a sense, we've got to be like those nuns or midwife where they're giving up their privileges. That's where we start. We may not literally give them up, but that's where we start. And Paul writes at the beginning, just before this bit that we had read, and I think this is useful, in your relationship, oh no, sorry, it is in the reading, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So it starts with your mind. How can we have the mind of Christ? And then another place in Corinthians, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. We have it. We have it. Because we have it through God's spirit who lives in us. But of course, we do have the ability to resist the mind of Christ, sadly. And we're quite good at doing that. Certainly I am. And the challenge for us is to take the back seat and let the Spirit of God guide us and empower us in our everyday lives. And tonight we're focusing particularly on this emptying ourselves, which is called kenosis, humbling ourselves aspect of having the mind of Christ. So if we're going to be like him, act like him, We can't, in our mind, be full of our self-importance, our cleverness, but instead looking for opportunities to serve and help God and others. 
and I, I, I can feel myself falling into this. You, you have a conversation and you start thinking, oh, I could show how clever I am about that. Have you ever done that? I do that. And I think that's where it starts, but we empty ourselves of those things. The only thing of importance for us is that we are loved children of God. We don't need anything else. We are loved children of God. Jesus became our slave to save us. He loves us so much. He, God woos us like uh, uh, a husband with a, with a bride. So we realize all the privileges, all the status we think we have are nothing to hang on to, to strive for. And in your mind, empty yourself of them. That's what I think Jesus did when he came from heaven to earth. And, and to illustrate this, the story of Jesus uh, when he went to this banquet, um, he told a story about taking the lowest place at the table. In Luke 14, it says, When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. It's a very simple picture, isn't it? And Jesus said, When you're invited to a meal, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, you'll say, oh, friend, move, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus was watching people, and he thought, because of their own view of their status, wealth, and so on, they thought they should have the best seats. So what was going on in their mind? It's in your mind, isn't it? So you think, oh, I've got to have the best seat. And so much of what we do is like that. And he points out that in God's way of seeing things, the people who don't empty, empty themselves, humble themselves, are the ones who are need of, needing of being brought down a peg or two. And the ones who think of others as more important than themselves, take the lower seat, are the ones who are acting like Jesus, and God will lift them up. Those, who, those will be exalted. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And back to King Louis, I think he got, he got an idea of this, didn't he? So he took his crown off, he put that plain white robe on. He got the idea. He didn't do it perfectly, but he washed the feet of the poor and he gave them food. So he was getting there. And Paul mentioned this idea in the couple of verses before our reading. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, I, I think I have to put one proviso in at this stage. Just a quick note here. To be like Jesus, a slave of others, empty of our own self-importance, full of the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean we should be a doormat, totally unassertive and agreeing with what everyone else says. Just the way we do it is important. Because Jesus, as you I'm sure no, was very critical, for example, of the religious leaders of the day, of the corruption going on in the temple, and so on. He was assertive, but he wasn't full of his own self-importance, which is a great model for us. So you're not meant to be a doormat, I don't think. Anyway, back, back to the theme. So we need the mind of Christ, and we do have it, through God's spirit living in us, but we can resist it, so be careful. Now, this emptying, humbling process can be seen in surrendering to God each day, admitting our sin in confession, as we've just done this evening, 
asking him to fill us with his spirit and guide us through the day and watch out for what he's doing. Now, I've got a picture which might help you think further. I hope it's useful to you about this emptying process, this surrender to God on a daily basis. So I want, if you like, picturing things in your mind, you might want to close your eyes. It's not a difficult picture. It's quite a pleasant picture. Depends if you like floating on the sea or not. So what I want you to do is close your eyes and think, oh, I just float on water. Oh, lovely. I'm just floating around here. Now, if you have the confidence, you may have been able to float on water. Just keep picturing that. But think, what do you do when you float on the water? You kind of empty yourself. You have to let go, otherwise you sink. And you allow the water to bear you up. You float. It's lovely. It swishes around. hope there are no sharks coming. I don't think there are. It's all right. So you, you, it's a bit like emptying yourself on a daily basis and letting God bear us through the day, like that water led by his Spirit. So it's, it's allowing God to take the weight. I had another illustration about bicycles, but I'm not going to do it because you'll get bored, because I always talk about bicycles. I won't mention it. If you want to know it, come and see me later. <laughs> anyway, so the, I like that picture, though, because I think it's a bit like that. But it's exhilarating and a bit scary at the same time, because a shark might come... And what's going to happen then, uh, or or you might not relax and then your feet will go down and you'll sink or or a big wave could cut. So it's a bit scary as well, isn't it, floating on water? But if that's the way we're meant to be, it's a great way to live following Jesus, the one who emptied himself, gave himself up, not to the water, but to the soldiers, the executioners, to be lifted up on a cross to save the world. And then I thought about our prayers, where we pray. So when we pray, part of prayer is being still. We, we all know this verse. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I'm God. Now I find that very hard because I'm such an activist. But this Psalm 46 encourages us to be still before God. And part of that is emptying ourselves of our desires and all but thoughts of God. It encourages us to quieten down and, in a sense, take the lowest seat of the table and put God at the head of the table and listen to him and know him. So being still and acknowledging God, I think, has an element of this emptying yourself uh, and allowing God to be just there with us and listening to him. Another area which I... uh, is um, in the news a bit at the moment because Archbishop Justin Welby talked about this in a recent interview. He, he speaks in tongues. And this is quite, a, I think it's quite a strange gift from God in many ways. But in that gift, you have to take a back seat again and empty ourselves, let God be in charge of our tongue through his Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know we don't all have the same gifts. Not everyone will be given the gift of tongues by God. But we'll have other gifts And I know Paul says speaking in tongues is the least of the gifts. But I think it's a useful thing to think about because to speak in tongues, we have to hand over control of our tongue to God, emptying ourselves of that desire to be in control of our speech. We have to relax, empty ourselves of resistance to God, let go and let God speak using our tongue. And I think that's quite a good illustration, actually, of all our conversations all the time, actually. 
And I just said something stupid to Chris earlier, which I shouldn't have said, so I apologise. But it's a picture for our everyday lives, our front lines. Let God be in control of your tongue. A couple of final quick things, and then we'll we'll reflect ourselves, and you can apply it in your situation. At work or in social occasions, maybe look out for the person no one else is talking to, a person who maybe doesn't find it easy to fit in with the group person with disabilities, I don't know, a stranger, talk to them. In church, talk to new people that you've noticed before you talk to all your friends after the service. And the way we talk is important too. We can just be still and listen, not just with God and others. And and I'll give Henry Noyan a little bit just before we finish. Because Henry Noyan said, to listen is very hard because it asks of us so much interior stability that we no longer need to prove ourselves by speeches, arguments, statements. True listeners no longer have an inner need to make their presence known. Oh, this is so much me. I'm not the true listener. (laughs) So this is probably why it speaks to me. They are free to receive, welcome and accept. You have this inner need to make your presence known, don't you? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm more... Empty yourself a bit. Be like Jesus. We can take the back seat with others and be their servants and listen when they need someone to listen to. And to do so, we have to empty ourselves of the need to prove ourselves, to make our case. Then we can better let the other person speak and really listen to what they're saying. Now, if you're a bit daunted by all this talk of emptying yourself and humbling yourself and taking the lowest seat at the table, well, so am I. And it's not easy. It's a daily challenge for me and for all of us. And the great news is, as always, is that Jesus was helped by the Holy Spirit when he emptied himself to live among us. So the Holy Spirit can help all of us every day when we try and do the same. God still helps us through his Spirit. And we can ask for that help on a daily basis. And to finish with that great, great uh, bit at the end of our reading from Paul. Uh, The result of Jesus emptying himself, humbling himself on the cross for all of us, Paul says, is therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. This is our slave who saved us, but everyone will bow to him in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus humbled himself to help all of us, and God exalted him. We are loved children of God. May we empty ourselves so that when we see God, our loving Father, face to face, he'll say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen.